Go to Mark chapter number two today. Mark chapter number two. As you're turning, I do want to see if I can find Delmar and Tammy Holmes, if they're in the room. If you are, guys, raise your hand at me. I think that they're in the room. At least they texted me yesterday. Delmar and Tammy, are you here? Maybe they'll be here next week. Okay, we'll, we'll point that out next week. Mark chapter number two. Uh, if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, and I know quite a few of you have not been here the past two weeks, let me catch you up to speed. Two weeks ago, we started a 10-week sermon series called 10 Choices, and this is broken down into five foundational choices and then five relational choices, but we began with this idea that really life is all about choices. So much of our life is determined by the choices that we make or how we choose to respond to events that happen in our lives. And by the way, first responders, again, thank you for the choices you've made. You've chosen. You've chosen willingly and freely to say, I want to choose this as a career field or I want to, I want to choose to spend my life serving others. You've chosen to, to volunteer countless hours. And, and spouses, you've chosen to, lo- to loan your spouses to the community at times when you really didn't feel like it and you suffered a bit and someone else was the recipient and a blessing to what your spouse was able to provide. So over and over again, you've made choices that we're appreciative of and choices is really what life boils down to. And we're right in the middle of our foundational choices. This is our third choice. So really, if if you're a first responder or a guest here today, you're just catching the series midstream, and we're going to continue with it, and I think that it'll be applicable for all of us. And today, here's the choice. It's a very simple choice, very foundational choice, but the most important choice, and that's I choose God's forgiveness. I want us to look at Mark chapter number two, and here Jesus comes face to face with a man who is in need. He's a paralytic man a man who cannot walk on his own. And I want us to pick up this conversation kind of midstream and see how Jesus converses with this man who has a need and Jesus being, in my opinion, the ultimate first responder who sees the need of humanity and responds to that and chooses to respond to that. And here we are in Mark chapter 2, verse number 5. Here's what verse number 5 says. When Jesus saw their faith, there being this, these four friends who are helping this paralyzed man get to Jesus, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. There were certain scribes sitting there, and they reasoned in their hearts, and said, Why doth this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So Jesus looks at this, this guy who has a physical need, and he says, I'm going to address your spiritual need first. Your sins are forgiven. And people are sitting there and they say, hold up, you can't do that. Like, what did you just say? You just told him that the sins could be forgiven? That's God's job. Like, that's blasphemy to say that you can forgive someone's sins. And Jesus picks up on this. And the text tells us in verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So the scribes have a little bit of an internal meltdown and say, who do you think you are, God? And Jesus kind of nods and says, yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> like like you're, you're picking up on it. Yes. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. He doesn't flinch a bit. He said, I'm Emmanuel, I'm God with us, I'm God in the flesh, and I can forgive sins and to prove it, watch this. So verse number 11, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. And immediately this man arose, he took up his bed, he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion. 
What Jesus does here should matter to us immensely. That he healed the man physically? Yeah, sure, absolutely. But more importantly than that, that he offers this man forgiveness. And that, that today is what I want us to hone in on. That's what I want us to consider as a choice. And I think that it's the most important choice, the choice of I choose God's forgiveness that's offered to me. I'll be honest today, I'm gonna to throw you a fastball right down the middle of the plate today when it comes to this choice in this, in this sermon. If you've never chosen the forgiveness of God and it is something that you choose, I can't think of something that is more important than you will ever choose in your life. And I wanna give you an opportunity today to make, that, to make that choice. And I've broken it down into three parts. Bad news, great news, and why don't I hear this news more often, all right? So that, that's what it is. Bad news, great news, why don't I hear this news more often? Now how many of you, if you were, to if you were told good news, bad news, you would take the bad news first? Raise of hands, who would take the bad news first? Who would take the good news first? All right, well, more of you, I'm with the bad news people. I'm sorry, we're eating our vegetables and our dessert today. You're going to get the bad news first. So here's the bad news, all right? You have sin that needs forgiving. I have, I have never met a person in my life that didn't concede at least two things about the world. Number one, it's a beautiful world. We look around at the world around us and we see the mountain ranges, we see the sunsets, we see the beach, we even see some of the love and affection that comes from people and, and how they treat people at times and we say, man, this is, this is a beautiful world. But at the same time, I have yet to meet someone that won't concede that we live in an ugly world that is filled with a lot of brokenness, that's filled with a lot of pain, that's filled with a lot of disease, that's filled with problems. And, and it doesn't take a genius to recognize that we are shooting up our schools or there is a drug epidemic or there are problems that are around and there's, there's beauty and brokenness all at the same time. And if you're a, a public servant for any length of time, you will have seen this in action. You will have seen the, the ugliness unfold. Every police officer has been to a crime scene where someone chose to act selfishly and hurt someone else. Every paramedic has been to a domestic dispute, and you've seen the side effects of, of what unfolded and how that turned violent. Every volunteer firefighter here today has been to the scene of a crash where someone chose to drive intoxicated and to hurt themselves and or other people. And we've We've all seen that. This is so much of what our first responders do, that you find yourselves in sticky situations that are the byproduct, not just of someone's unwise choice, but many times it's the byproduct of someone's morally reprehensible choice. That we look and we say, this is clearly wrong. But if we're halfway honest with ourselves, we know that we contribute to the beauty and the ugliness both at times. But even in our own lives, we, we try to be good and we try to love our neighbors and we try to, we try to help them and we try to, uh, we try to do the right thing and, and have some sort of virtue or morality about us. But we all have moments where we twist the truth to suit our own agenda. We all have moments where we act selfishly and we do things that we know we should not be doing and we contribute to the brokenness. And that's, that's sin is what the Bible calls it. It's this departure from God's ways. And here's what the Bible says about sin. So bad news first, let's just, let's just examine it. Here's what the scriptures teach about sin. It teaches that we're disease sinners. Psalm 51 says this, it says, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. What that is saying is that we come out of the womb with a bend towards wrong behavior. That we are actually birthed with this propensity to operate and to choose sin. That we're, no one is immune from that. That we come by sin quite naturally. Our children are living testimonies of this, are they not? 
that they choose that so easily. I have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. So I have, I have little ones going around the house all the time, and I can tell you they choose sin easily and naturally. Yesterday, for the first time, my two-year-old I know clearly lied to me. She just turned two, and she lied to my face. She's probably lied to me previously, but this was the first time where I knew she was lying, and she knew she was lying, but she wasn't going to back down from it. She had whacked her nine-month-old brother for no apparent reason, and I looked at her and said, Willow, did you just hit Cruz? No. <laughs> and she knew she hit him. She knew she was lying to me. Willow, tell me the truth. Did you? No. It took about four times to get the truth out of her that she had hit him. It comes normal to us. To choose that and to operate that way, it's, it's, it's inside of us. The Bible teaches us that. It also teaches that we're determined sinners. It's not just that it comes normal, but there's, there's very little that can stop our pursuit of sin sometimes. There's very little that detours us. We're, we're very loyal to it at times. That no one has to give us a pep talk on sinning. Like, I've just been down in the dumps and haven't been able to choose wrong very easily lately. I just need someone to, to boost me up. You don't need that. It comes to us very easily. On the flip side, we have to be coached and trained and talked over and over and over again to choose right and to tell the truth and to love people and to not be selfish and to not be violent. We have to have that just be into us because when we're left alone, we'll naturally go that way will naturally go towards the sin because we're determined. We're also very deceived. Jeremiah 17 tells us that our heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Each of us have a stunning capacity to deceive ourselves into thinking that the sinner is the other guy. The sinner or the person with the problem or the person that, that isn't that moral is, that's the other person. And we've all had a family member or a coworker or someone that was in our lives or around us that was extremely good at self-justifying their behavior. That you saw the problem and everyone else saw the problem, but they just could not see the problem. But you ever wonder if that's yourself? That someone who couldn't see it, that maybe perhaps that's us. That even as you sit here, it's very easy for us to think, well, I'm, I'm a decent person. I try to do a lot of good. I'm sitting in church today. You know, get off my back. I can't be that good of a person. This, this doesn't apply that much to me. This applies to the person who is incarcerated, the person who, who has problems. I, I mean, I'm not perfect, but compared to some other people, I'm all right. I'm, I'm not that bad. We're very good at sizing everybody else up except ourselves. We're very good at not wanting to take an honest look in the mirror and be self-honest. But if we are for a moment, you know that the first person to cause you problems nine times out of ten is yourself. Jack Parr put it this way. He said, looking back at my life, it seems like one big obstacle race with me being the chief obstacle. <laughs> and that, if, we're, if we're honest, that's the truth. That's the truth of my own life. That I, I have to get over me and my problem. And if you could kick the person in the seat of the pants that's most responsible for your problems, you wouldn't be able to sit down for weeks. <laughs> and we're very good at deceiving ourselves and justifying ourselves and trying to minimize the wrong that we do and trying to upplay and maximize the right that we do. But it's a problem. I would say this, we're also destined sinners. Now the bad news is almost over, but I don't want to hold back and tell you just 75% of it. I want to shoot straight with you and give you the, the whole truth. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of our sin is death. The paycheck of sin is death. 
And that's not a desirable paycheck. That's not one you want. It's not one that I want. The Bible teaches us that if we get what we deserve for what we've done, then it is not pretty. We love to celebrate John 3.16. Most Christians do. Probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Yes, God loves us. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, and we just kind of really minimize the end part that they shall not perish but have everlasting life. We like to emphasize the beginning, but that hinge phrase at the end is, is very important. And perish is a serious reality that needs to be solved. We actually have to look at that and say that perish equals eternal death sentence. This is not pretty. This is why Jesus was, was so big on trying to tell his audience over and over again things like, don't fear them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him which is able to, to destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Th that's not pretty words, but that's the words of Jesus where he says, look, you need to be concerned more about the immaterial and more about the inside than you are just the outside. He says, there's something to be concerned about here. This is why when this, when this paralytic man comes to him, he focuses first inside before he attaches to the physical. And a lot of people assume that God grades on a curve. That since I know a lot of people that are worse than me, I shouldn't have to worry, right? I mean, eventually, God will grade on a curve and I'll be okay because I'm not at the bottom of the curve. But God is not our college professor, and I'm, I'm very aware that we live in the 21st century in a very Instagrammable, candy-coated, Oprah-ific sort of world. I know that. But in love, I want to tell you the truth. My sin, mine, my children's sin, your sin is a problem and a big problem. A problem that has to be addressed. Not the other guys, not the other girls, but, but our own. And the beauty of the bad news is actually that it makes the good news great news right? So if the bad news is worse enough, the good news actually intensifies and gets even better. For example, what would be better, a cure for cancer or a cure for head lice? If you have to choose, who chooses cure for cancer? Right? I'm not even going to ask head lice because someone's going to accidentally <laughs> raise your hand and, I'm, and it's going to be embarrassing. We would all choose that, right? Because the severity of the, of the disease it tells us that the, the greatness of a cure would be even better. It would be awesome. And many churches so minimize the bad news that it tends to water down the good news, and the good news isn't as good anymore because the bad news ceases to exist. So understanding the bad news clearly for what it is helps us to see the good news and that it's not just good, it's actually great. It is, it is so sweet and so good and so over the top that I can't wait to share it. Here it is. Great news. God is a forgiving God. God's a forgiving God, and not just towards other people, towards you. You can be forgiven. And I've, I've prayed much over the past couple weeks that every single person who sits here today would just soak into your soul what the scriptures say about God, what he'd like to do for you if you will choose it. Here's God's forgiveness. It's natural. Just as it is natural for us to sin and we're bent that way, it's natural for God to forgive. The psalmist tells us that, Lord, thou art good, thou art ready to forgive, and you're plenteous in mercy to all them that call upon you. What that's saying is that God naturally is inclined and predisposed to forgive. 
Some of you, by nature of your personality, are bent one way or the other. Some of you are more laid back. Some of you are more type A. Some of you are more extroverted. Some of you are more introverted. Raise of hands, who's more extroverted? Who's more introverted? The extroverts are like, I'll raise my hand, pick me. The, the introverts are like, ask me to raise my hand one more time and I'm gonna bust you up, like leave me alone. What this is saying is that God is naturally forgiving. That's part of his nature, that's part of his character. He's naturally forgiving, but it not only is it, is it natural to him, the forgiveness of God is never ending. And this is awesome. Because this is so different than us. The Bible tells us that as the east, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us or our sins from us. That you can't, you can't get any further than that. The east and west just keep going apart from each other further and further and further. This is saying that God doesn't just take your sin away for a little while. He'll put it so far away that you can't find it anymore. And he's not going to say the next morning after he forgives you, oh yeah, I was thinking about the forgiveness stuff. Like, Bad call on my part. I'm just, I'm just not going to forgive you anymore. I take it back. That's not God. We as humans, if you've ever had someone offend you deeply and hurt you deeply, you know what it's like to wrestle with the process of forgiveness, and you know that that's over and over and over again. It's not a one-time decision. You, ha you have to wrestle with that over and over and over again. This is saying God isn't like that. God forgives and it's done. It's over, it's done with, it's, it's out of the way, it's gone. He remembers no more. I want that. I, I want that for my heart. There's a lot of things hanging in the attic of my conscience that I need forgiveness for, that I, I need the guilt to be gone. I need them to be over. And God's forgiveness is never ending. It's also near. John tells us that he is faithful and, to, and, for, and just to forgive us our sins. That if we will confess... He's faithful to forgive us our sins. What that means is that this isn't just pie in the sky for the good guy. This isn't just something for someone else. This is at your fingertips right now. This is within arm's reach. This is something that is right there in front of you. This is something that's available to you. And the choice honestly lies for us that forgiveness is near and we can choose to accept that or not. You say, okay, how would I get that? That sounds like a great deal. Well, you have to understand that forgiveness is not cheap. And this tells us how you get it. Forgiveness is, is offered to you freely, but it wasn't free. And if you paid attention at all to any of the music today, you would have picked up on that. That all of the music has been about the power of the cross or he gave his life for mine or that was pointing to Jesus and the story of Jesus and the good news that that we have a problem, we have sin, but he hung on the cross and died for our sins. That's why Christians have crosses around their necks and on the steeples of their churches and in their homes because we celebrate the cross and we understand that it was only through the cross that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That he offers to pay for sins and he offers to forgive us for our sins and that we cannot do it ourselves. We can't work enough, pray enough, do enough good. We can't invest enough. I love that you volunteer hours. I love that you are on duty and that you protect and that you serve and that you, that you treat victims. I love that you do that, but you can't do enough of that to take care of your sin problem. It's impossible. If, it, if you could, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Then his death would have been in vain. He died because he's doing something for us that we, that we cannot do for ourselves. And he's buried and he raises from the dead as a giant stamp of approval to say, look at what I did and look at what I said and consider that carefully. 
If he didn't raise from the dead, then, then ignore all of it. Don't ever go to church. I don't care. Throw it all away. But if he did, you have to pay attention to it. And he says, look at the cross. Look at what I did. The Bible teaches us this in 1 John, that herein is love. You want to know what love is like? Look at this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation. That's a big word. We don't use it a lot. The propitiation for our sins. That means he paid for our sins. He took care of it. Forgiveness is offered. We can have peace with God, and that is only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus, the only way. And that shouldn't be surprising. The surprising thing to me is not that there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus. The surprising thing to me is that there's a way at all. But there is a way, and it is through Jesus, and he offers us the forgiveness. And from the depths of my soul, I want you to get this today. I want you to to know that this is... This is the greatest gift that anyone could ever be offered to accept the forgiveness of God and to choose the forgiveness of God that is free to you. It wasn't free to him, but it's free to you. I have to at least answer this question in closing. Why don't I hear this news more often? The, the good news or the bad news, why, why, don't I, why don't I hear this more often? Maybe you do hear it all the time. In my experience, I don't hear this all the time. If it's true that I have a massive problem and that's sin and I can't take care of it myself, and if it's true that all that sin can be gone and forgiven in a moment, in an instant, and God will do that for me out of an act of sheer grace, why would I resist that? Why would I not hear that more clearly, more often, I think there's two reasons. There's probably more than two, but there's probably two. First is pride. If, if that's true, then what that means is you have to go to Jesus and you can't save yourself. If that's true, then in our humanity, we don't like that. Those of you that are first responders know that people don't yell out for help or for saving until the very last moment. I lifeguarded as a teenager for a lot of years at a, at a summer camp, and I, I was witness to this over and over and over again. No one calls out for help to the last minute, and sometimes they don't even call out for help. They're just sinking, and you've got to go get them. No one does that right away. They try, and they try, and they try, and they try to do it in their own power before they will actually ask for help. And there's, there's a sense of that in all of us that we don't want to ask for help, that we don't want to admit that I have a need that I can't solve myself. I want to try to figure it out myself. I want to be self-sufficient. But when it comes to our sin problem, it's impossible, and you have to, you have to swallow your pride a bit. Also, and I think this is most important, the reason why people don't love this all the time is because it does create a sense of indebtedness that's natural to us. Many people don't want to hear that forgiveness is offered, not based on what I do, but based on what Jesus has done. And I prefer a religion that says, just do your best and then it'll be figured out. Because if I'm totally 100% forgiven by grace, then there's no limit to what God can ask me to do. If it's 100% him and 0% me, if he does it all and it's all his grace and it's all free, then there's a sense of, I can't look at what I've done. I don't have a horse in the race. I don't have any skin in the game. I've done nothing. Now he's done everything. And now there's a deeper sense of indebtedness to where God can ask me anything. And I feel like I I should be able to say yes. And that's true. It's true. 
But if someone lays down their life for you, then there's probably no request that's too big. And can I encourage you just to consider that accepting the forgiveness of God that's offered is something that is worth choosing. It's well worth pocketing your pride. It's well worth understanding that he is a loving God who doesn't want to use you. He doesn't want to manipulate you. He doesn't want to have you do something that's that's worse off for your life. He won't take advantage of you. He's a God that is worth choosing. And when we look at choices in life, I can think of no more important choice than this, than to look internally and say that there are, I, I try to be a good person, I try to be a moral person, but there are things in me that I can't fix myself and I can't forgive myself. Only God can do that. The scribes at least got that right in Mark, that only God can forgive sins. That only he can do that. And I need to choose his forgiveness. And I, I believe with all my heart that that choice deserves, even demands urgency. That it's something that should be looked at thoroughly. It's something that should be seized immediately. And the choice is yours to choose God's forgiveness is not. No one can choose that for you. As much as I want my own children one day to choose the forgiveness of God, I cannot choose that for them. And it's not some, it's not some shallow tip of the hat. It's not, oh yeah, I'm good with that. God's forgiveness is cool. Like we're, on, we're on good terms. It's, it's not that. It's not shallow. It, it's, not, it's not half-hearted. It's not, I'm in with Jesus. It's, it's true belief. It's from the heart. It's faith. It's trust completely. It's not, yeah, I've been pretty good. I've said my prayers. I've gone to church. I've went to mass. I'm Baptist. I'm Catholic. I'm Lutheran. I'm whatever. It's, it's none of that. It's none of that. It's completely internally saying, if I was to stand before God today and he asked me, on what basis should I let you into heaven? My answer has to be, I have no basis. I, I have nothing personally to offer. I have no good outweighing my bad, look at all the good I've done. That, that's, that's not an option on the table. The only option on the table is I've trusted in Jesus and what he did for me. It's him, it's him alone. It's not me. I've, I've believed in him and I've accepted the gift and that's, that's the total basis for my forgiveness. That's it. And I've chosen to accept that gift and to accept it freely. And I have to ask you this morning, do you understand that choice? Because it is an important choice, the most important choice. Do you understand that sin is your problem and that you aren't solving that problem on your own? Do you understand that forgiveness is your need and Christ is your provision for that? And do you understand that Faith must be your choice. That you must choose now to believe in Jesus and that he offers you forgiveness and offers it freely. And if you understand that, then I think the decision is easy. To say, Lord, I choose your forgiveness. Thank you. I accept the grace and I make it my own.